You can open your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3 is where our text will be this evening. We live in a time where everything has an exception. Think about how many products have exclusions or exceptions uh, to them. Uh, If you watch enough commercials, you'll see that every drug commercial has this myriad of side effects and exclusions to the point that you go, "I I think your side effects are worse than the problem you're trying to solve. Everything in life right now Uh, has the fine print. Some exclusions apply. Uh, Some of the worst words that I think as a parent I'd ever read was some assembly required. Uh, That that meant hours. That that never meant some. That meant a a lot. Uh, This is kind of the world we live in where we're used to exemptions, exclusions, things that simply do not apply. And, And it is interesting that here in 1 Kings 3, there is a declaration of an exception. And this exception is devastating in the defining of Solomon's spiritual walk. It will really set the trajectory for the nation of Israel. And what we're going to look at in that exception, I think, is really important for our learning and for our instruction this evening. So tonight's lesson's called Without Exception. Listen to just the first three verses. First three verses of First Kings chapter 3. First Kings chapter 3, verse 1. Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. And the people were sacrificing at the high places, however, because no house had yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father, except he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. Those three verses are loaded with information. What seems to be so simple really sets the tone and the direction for the rest of Solomon's reign. One of the things that we have seen in our study of David is that while there will be this general picture of a positive reign of David and positive events happening in the life of David, you might remember that from time to time it would insert this little negative statement. For example, as the the power was coming to David and he is subduing the kingdom, the very next paragraph would say, but then he married a bunch of other women. And you kind of go, oh, okay, here's this big negative statement after stating such positive things about the reign of David. The same thing is happening here. In fact, if you notice at the very end of chapter 2, notice these great words as that chapter concludes at the end of of chapter 2. It's, so the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. That sounds like we're in good shape. Uh, we're, We're on our way. The trajectory looks good. The son of David is on the throne and the kingdom is established in his hand. And so it's going to be smooth sailing, right? Well, these first three verses are foreshadowing a whole lot of trouble. 
In fact, in the first verse, what we are seeing is a sinful alliance, a sinful alliance in in this first verse. And what is interesting is that while the, the first verse sounds very simple and subtle, there are three huge problems with what is stated here in this very first verse. The first thing that we are told is that Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. Three problems right there in that verse. Number one is the word Egypt. All throughout the the scriptures, Egypt is always a negative. Egypt is the oppressor to Israel. Remember, God had to rescue Israel from the hand of Egypt. And God was so decisive about that, that God specifically told Israel that you were never to have any future dealings with Egypt ever again because of who they were and how God had rescued them. Deuteronomy in Deuteronomy yes in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 17 and verse 16 in describing what the king is to do and not do God says in Deuteronomy 17 verse 16 only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses since the Lord has said to you catch it you shall never return that way again God said, I don't want you to deal with Egypt at all. I don't want you to go back there. I don't want you to talk to them. I don't want you to deal with them. Egypt's off the table. First thing that's pictured here is that Solomon makes an alliance with Egypt of all nations. Second problem that we see in this is not only that it's Egypt, but we have this marriage alliance even at that. We might not realize this at this point in the, in the account of First Kings. We're told this later, but we'll fill in the details now. Solomon's already married. So with Solomon already married, here he is now marrying another woman out of a political alliance. And that's what you would typically do in ancient Near Eastern times. What's the best way to secure an alliance between two nations except to make sure your daughter went to their nation and their daughter went to your nation. And then therefore, well, we're not going to fight each other because our kids are in each other's lands. That's why you did those kinds of things. And so what you have happening here is this already beginning the multiplying of wives. This will come out later on, but already starting right now. And already you see Solomon walking in the ways of David. This is what David did as he began to have a wife and then yet another wife and then yet another wife. Here it just seems so simple. Oh, and he marries this woman, but he's already married. It's yet another woman that Solomon marries And then finally, not only it being Egypt, and not only it being yet another marriage for Solomon, it is that he makes an alliance at all with another nation. You might remember that God never wanted Israel to do that. God never wanted Israel to make alliances with other nations because God wanted his people to trust him and trust him alone. You don't need to have protections. You don't need to make alliances. You don't need to work out those kinds of deals. God will be your leader. He will be your rescue. He will be your protection. He will be the one to help you. 
And you see that even described in Ezekiel 29 and verse 16, the prophet Ezekiel says, it will never again be Israel's source of confidence, but a reminder of how they sinned by turning to Egypt for help. Then they will know that I am the sovereign Lord. And so even in Ezekiel's prophecy, one of the big condemnations is you went to Egypt for help. You weren't supposed to turn to the nations for help. And so what I want you to see in the first verse, in this sinful alliance, there's already three problems. We already have a marriage, we have an alliance, and we have Egypt. And all three of those things are against God's will and not what Solomon was supposed to do. Not only that, you'll notice in verse 2 that we don't only have a sinful alliance, we have sinful worship. In verse 2, the people were sacrificing at the high places because no house had yet been built for the name of the Lord. When you read about sacrificing in the high places, you should just immediately have the, oh no, that's bad, uh, ringing in your ears. That is never good. You were never supposed to do that. In fact, God made that very clear in Deuteronomy chapter 12 and verse 2. Listen to what God said about this. In Deuteronomy 12 and verse 2, He says, You shall surely destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess served their gods on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. You shall tear down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and burn their asherim with fire. You shall chop down the carved images of their gods and destroy their name out of that place. Listen to this. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. And then he says what you're supposed to do. He continues, but you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out for all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. There you shall go and there you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and your contributions that you present, your vow offerings and your freewill offerings and the firstborn of your herd and all of your flock. God made it very clear. When you go into the land, you do not worship me in the high places. You don't mimic those pagan gods. You don't worship me like that. I will tell you where to worship. I will tell you where I'm going to put my name. And in fact, verse 2 seems to be indicating that when it says, the house of the Lord has not been built yet. And a lot of debate about, is that a negative slap on Solomon like you haven't done what you're supposed to do? Or is it just a time marker of we're still waiting? But either way, the negative statement is, They're not worshiping where they ought not be worshiping. We have a sinful worship in place. And then if that were not bad enough, in verse 3, we have the sinful exception. In verse 3, Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father, except he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. Now, interesting to note, it's not only the people who are in the high places who are making these false worship and and doing these things in a way that God did not desire. Even the king now is already doing that. Even Solomon is doing that. In fact, it's just in the next sentence. He's going to do it in a very grand way as he's attempting to worship God, but he's doing it in the high places. But the word that I want you to focus on is there in the middle of verse 3. 
If you have an ESV, it says only. Other translations say except. Some translations say but. Solomon loved the Lord and walked in the statutes of his father David except. He loved the Lord except he walked in the ways of his father. Except that is a huge statement. And if you know the story of first and second Kings well at all, you will know that's what's going to be said of all the kings going forward is that everybody's going to be compared to David. Then it will say he did all these great things, except he didn't tear out the idols or tear down the high places or stop the false worship or some kind of statement's going to be made to say he did all these great and wonderful things and made all these reforms except these few things. What I want us just to consider is that, first of all, this is a huge problem for Israel going forward. We're going to see this all the time now, these huge exceptions, and it all begins with Solomon. And I want us to be stunned by the wording. Solomon loved the Lord, except. And the message for tonight's lesson, as given by the title, is a really simple, singular message that I want us just to kind of work through over the next few minutes. That we would think about our lives and ask the simple question, is there an exception that we have in our lives like this? Would it be said of us, fill in your name, love the Lord, accept? Except he or she would do this. Or except he or she would not do this. This statement made by Solomon is going to trigger all kinds of things about his life going forward. This exception is going to be huge. And it is important for us to really think about if you were to look at our lives as Christians, we, we talked about the beginning, how there's exceptions and fine print. Is there fine print about our lives that we would serve God and we would love God except under these circumstances or under these conditions or under this or that? Or if only if we, well, not that. I won't do that. I'll do these things, but not that. That I want us to see here with Solomon. He loves God. But there are some things that he will not go all the way forward with God. And this is the problem of the divided heart. This is why God is always talking to his people and saying, you need to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all of your mind. Because if you do not serve him and love him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, what we are saying is there's an exception. There is something that it will only go to so far. 
And we might be able to say, well, I love the Lord to God 95%. There's only this small little thing. There's only these small little circumstances. There's only these small little things in my life. These things that I really want to do. These things that I think are really important. That I think are really, you know, I can do that, right? I want us to see this, this problem. That is, it's possible to think that we love the Lord our God and yet there are exceptions. Think about how many times Jesus had to deal with that issue. How many times people would come up to Jesus and indicate that they wanted to follow Jesus. And what Jesus was doing was trying to figure out if they had any, any exceptions to following. Where he, they would come up to him and say, hey, I want to follow you. Let me go bury my father first. And Jesus would always go, no exceptions. There's no, well, you can follow me except let me do. Or how about when Jesus would tell parables and where we have a parable, this great invitation to this great feast. And people come with their excuses and what they'll say in that parable is, well, I just bought a field, let me go check it out first. Or I just bought some yoke of oxen and I need to go try it out. Or I just got married and so, you know, please excuse me. That whole parable is said about the idea of trying to serve God with an exception. This is a huge, huge problem is that it is so easy to think that we are serving God and yet there be these immense exceptions in our lives. And it is found in the New Testament that we cannot have this divided heart. Think about as you have a lawyer who comes up to Jesus and he's testing him. He's trying to trip him up. And he says to Jesus in Matthew 22, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus simply said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. That God doesn't give us exceptions. There is no room for us to say, I love God, but or only or except this little area in my life. Now, with the final couple of minutes, what I want to do is just kind of ask this question for us. Why does it matter? Why does it matter that we serve God without exception? Why is that such a big deal? Why does God care? Why can't he just be happy with 90% or 95% or 99%? Why is it so important that we come to God and not have a divided heart? Why does it matter so much? Why can't 51% be good enough? Why can't most of my heart be good enough? Why can't most of my life being devoted to him be enough? Why does God demand 100% or don't bother. Why must there not be exception? You ever asked that question? You ever wondered that? You ever thought, you know, isn't it good enough? I mean, I'm giving God most of my life. Why can't that be enough? Well, I think when we consider it, what you'll begin to see, especially in the book of First and Second Kings, these, these books really reflect it And if you know where the life of Solomon is going, then he's going to exemplify it in a grand way. 
The reason why it is so important to serve God without exception is because it's the exception that will be the downfall to your spiritual life. It's the exception that causes your spiritual failure. You know where Solomon's going, right? This except, except he sacrificed and made offerings in the high places. That will be his undoing. That will be his spiritual demise. That is going to be the end of him. These marriages are going to lead to the foreign idols and it's going to lead to the idolatry and the worship of the other gods, which are going to steal his heart. And eventually his heart will be taken away from God. How did it all begin? How could it possibly be that Solomon, who's going to be the one of the wisest men we're ever going to read about, how could it be that he would turn away from God and have his heart stolen from God? What happened? It's right here at the very beginning. There was an exception. He will love the Lord his God, except there's an exception. And the exception is what's going to kill us. The thing that we think is so small, so insignificant, why does it matter? It's not a big deal, right? I mean, it's just a small thing. It's just this one time. It's nearly nothing is everything to God. Why is it everything to God? Because God knows that is the Achilles heel to our faith. That's the thing that will be our spiritual demise. That's the thing that's going to get us. We look at it and go, but I've got 99% together. I've got it going just fine. It's okay. And God's looking at the 1% going, Satan's going to get you right there and it's going to be your doom. And it's so easy for us to just overlook that and go, well, it's just a small thing. It's just an insignificant thing. It's just this one time. It's all but for a moment. It really doesn't matter in the scheme of things, right? And it does. I mean, when you read this, please think about what's happening to Solomon right now. He's made an alliance with Egypt and married the daughter because that's what you had to do in those days. What's the big deal? Everything. It's everything. It's going to be his undoing. His whole kingdom is going to unwind because he loved the Lord, his God, except. And I really want us to just take a minute and truly think about for our lives, really take inventory Are there exceptions? Do we love God, but when put into this circumstance or this hardship or this difficulty or this convenience, we'll no longer serve him. We'll no longer do what he says. We're with him most of the way, except in these small things to really think about that. There's a reason why Jesus told a parable where he also warned in Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, he just simply said, no one can serve two masters. 
we read that and don't believe that. <laughs> no one can serve two masters. We go, yes, we can. I go, one foot planted here with Christ and one foot planted over here. And see, I can serve him and serve these other things too. We think we can pull it off. And what Jesus is doing is warning us. He's trying to help us. It's not a God who sits up in heaven and says, I'm such a demanding God. I want everything or I'm just not going to be happy. That's not the point. The point is he knows that it is our spiritual wreckage if we try to serve two masters. If we try to serve God but hold any bit back, then that's going to be the place of attack. That's going to be the place of failure. That exception is going to be where our difficulty lies. That is going to be the doom going forward. You might be able to think about that in your own life where you've held something back, where you've had an exception, and that has been the place of spiritual attack. That's been the place of temptation. That's been the place of problems because you tried to keep this one sin, this one area and hold back. And then you have the onslaught happen. It's led to all kinds of problems and a weakening of faith and committing of sin. It's what God is trying to teach us. The reason why God wants all of your heart is because if you don't give him all of your heart, it's going to be a spiritual disaster. It's going to be to our own doom. It's going to be to our own failure. And keeping anything back and holding back anything is going to be our ultimate destruction. Let me end by saying this. Jesus wants you to trust him. He wants you to trust him with your whole life. He wants you to trust him with everything of who you are. He wants you to trust him with all of your heart because you understand and know that that is what is best for you, that that is what is best for your life. Is that not really the challenge of the Christian walk? Is that I want to think I know what's best. This is the way I should go. And that's why I have these exceptions. That's why I hold these things back because these are important to me. These are value to me. These are things that I need to do. And truly having faith and truly trusting in God is the ability to say, no, I know that I think this is so important, so valuable to my life, but God is doing what is best for me. And I need to give things over to God. I need to get rid of these sins. I need to stop dabbling in these weaknesses. I need to stop allowing myself to be taken away from the things of God. As I have you consider this idea of exceptions, would you think about what might be holding you back? What in your life is holding you back from loving the Lord your God with all your heart? What's holding you back from having a true deep relationship with the God who loves you? What is it in your life that you find so valuable, so important? 
that we allow it to be the exception. That we'll serve God up to a certain point, except I won't do this. Except I won't sacrifice this. Except I won't make this change in my life. Except I won't allow that transformation. Except I won't do this differently. I know what God says, but I'm not going to do that. What is it that holds you back? That is probably one of the biggest warning areas for your consideration and mine. Is that is the area of where our fall will be. If we continue to allow the exception to sit in our life, however small, however significant we think it is, it will be our ultimate doom. It will be our unraveling. We will lose faith. We will not have the relationship with Jesus that we want to have. And so what is your exception? And as you go through this week, what will you do to remove those exceptions. When you encounter it today, when you encounter it tomorrow, when you encounter it this week, what will you do differently to get rid of those exceptions? What will you change so that it can truly be said that we love the Lord our God without exception? Can you imagine if there was still inspired paper going forward in the future. And God was still writing down names like he wrote down the names of kings like Solomon and those who came after him. And at the end of your life, if he could just put down on the paper and say, love the Lord, his or her God, without exception. You didn't have to fill in anything else. There was no, but he or she did. That's what we are ultimately hoping for. That's what we are praying for when we say, I want to hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. So ultimately what we're saying is, without exception, that we loved God without exception. What's the exception in your life? What will you do this week to remove it? So that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we see so many times in the Scriptures the failings of people who desired to serve you because they held back something in their hearts. And Lord, the life of Solomon is jarring. Lord, I pray that what we see in his life, that it says that he loved you, but failed would be jarring to our hearts to cause us to truly look within ourselves. And God, I pray that you would help us do that. Expose our hearts to our very minds and help us to truly see the things that we are holding back, the exceptions that we have in our lives. 
Help us to see the true strength of our faith. Help us to see if we truly love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. God, we pray for forgiveness for as many times as there are exceptions. God, forgive us for how many times that something has come up and you have not been put first. Forgive us for the many times that we have put conveniences, comforts, selfish desires ahead of a love for you. Forgive us for when we've chosen to sin instead of choosing to serve you. Forgive us from holding back the things in our lives and holding back our hearts thinking that our way is still the right way. And Lord, as we consider what your servant Solomon did, we pray that you would give us the direction and the wisdom and the courage and the strength to make wise decisions and faithful decisions to get rid of the excuses, to get rid of the fears, and get rid of the exceptions in our lives. So Lord, help us to see it. Help us to overcome it. And forgive us for how many times we failed to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing an invitation song in just a minute. We do invite you to come to Jesus. If you're ready to give God your whole heart, to serve Him and follow Him faithfully, to love Him as He desires you to come to Him, and that you would see Him as one who is seeking your best interest. That's why he wants your whole life. That's why he wants your whole heart. That's, that's your best interest. That's the good for your life. We encourage you to come to him tonight before it's too late. To turn away from sin. To repent of those things that you've done. To confess them as your Lord and Savior. And to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Can we help you in any way? Won't you come while we stand